the, the, the poor white people from the greater suburbs of the GTA are not digging this. So let's just like <laughs> take the Ford voters aren't digging it. Let's just take them out. This isn't testing. <laughs> this isn't testing well in Etobicoke. <laughs> you are now tuned in to drink this podcast. Matt and Paul G chatting top quality. You know they always got a free talk policy. Guests speak honestly. No apology. Full spectrum from politics to comedy. Please listen responsibly. A few brew in, chance of animosity. A couple more brew and the crew getting wobbly. No matter this, the park place a podcast monopoly. Drink this podcast. Welcome to Drink This Podcast. We're the Edmonton-based podcast where we celebrate good drinks and good conversation. My name is Matt. Joining me today, as almost always, mm-hmm. is Paul. Say hello, Paul. Aloha. Uh, it's Paul and I today. Um, we had planned to have a guest today. Like there, there had been a schedule made, time set. Granted, like a little like sporadically, uh-huh. whatever. Um, but I, I had written a very very nice thing to say about our guest. It was paragraphs. I showed it to somebody. The really? Other day. I was like, I'm gonna say this. I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> it was a nice, like, equal parts. Ah, see, I didn't like equal parts Jesse Brown and somebody who I used to like, but mm-hmm. like don't care for as much anymore. Is that the one that we talked about? No. I'm just talking about Gomeshi. Oh, okay. Uh, like it was a, like a nice yarn. There were no rhyming couplets. So just like very humble of your opinion of this. Yeah, right? exactly. And it was all about like coming together and, and finding common ground and, and hearing each other. It was it was beautiful. It but you know Solve the Middle East uh peace crisis yeah uh, we br- and bring uh democracy to cuba mm-hmm. um but that guy didn't show up today so i have thrown it in the trash oh maybe to be resurrected <laughs> one day uh we're not sure but in fairness <laughs> hey guy's important i get it i get it something He's came up he's got better things to do than come on our low rent under listen to podcast i seem to recall that one of uh one of our friends of the show today was trying to con you into advertising his beer because we have listeners so yeah that's true we'll, we, uh, we'll get to that later we'll get but... To that. but this is all a roundabout way of saying it's just me and paul today and we don't really have a plan no um we tried to crowdsource it it went okay um, well no well i think that that they all every one of those uh supplied suggestions i took to the facebook and twitter page i didn't check twitter maybe something happened no. oh i haven't either no nobody pays attention to twitter. us on twitter uh we're not very good at twitter I'm good at Twitter on my personal account. Yeah, but, but that that doesn't have anything to do with the no, show. No, because account. I keep forgetting to ever log into the show account and actually tweet things from that. I do that sporadically. Mostly our Twitter account is you checking in on Untapped. Yeah, it's tied to my Untapped account. I which is really, the laziest. I should really start actually doing shit on our Twitter account. Yeah, no. I don't I, do anything on my own lately. Why not, right? Um So I had solicited from our audience some potential topics, <laughs> which we will also cover today uh but before we get too deep into this uh a few reminders there are places you can find us on the internet our facebook page uh twitter and instagram we are at drink this pod uh and you can check out our website drinkthispod.com which will take you paul mm-hmm. to screaming doction studios.com slight retooling mm-hmm. of the website but drink this pod will still get you there where you can listen 
to other shows that one or both or some of us work on. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can catch the Craft Beer Guidecast, which is uh, a uh, show hosted by a friend of this show, Andrew Ironmonger, in which he attempts to educate the interested and keep the entrenched entertained. Also friend of us. Yeah, well, but that's what I mean by friend of the show, Mm -hmm. right? Like, we are the show. It's it's like the royal we, right? Yeah. Um, But he sits down and interviews makers and shakers uh, working to better the cause of alberta beer and uh it's been a good show to work on so also far. tied into his actual oh uh, the craft beer guide which is the, it, the whole podcast itself is a companion to the alberta craft beer guide uh which he's been on the show to mm-hmm. discuss before um so you can check out that show there at drinkthespot.com and coming soon chris and i have a chris connelly and i mm-hmm. a friend of the show chris connelly <laughs> the show has so many friends <laughs> too bad we don't have more yeah. friends they're, they're just like us for the show, not yeah. for us. And but, the, but by that rationale, somebody else should be sitting here right now, mm-hmm. right? Like, somebody else should be here if they like the show so damn much. Couldn't scrounge up for another guest tonight for love or money. Oh, you fucking nerd. We, but you know what, Shane? I'm still going to answer your goddamn questions. That's what a nice guy I am. <laughs> Even though you last minute couldn't come on my show because somebody else canceled on us. When you had a standing commitment mm-hmm. that's been ongoing for a long time. But you're, we're, we're getting off track from reminders. Yes. Go to the website. Reminders. Learn about the new shows. 30 the, Years of Dough. The Guidecast. 30 Years of Dough, which is a show coming soon. Dope. A 30-year retrospective on The Simpsons hosted by a friend of the show, Chris Connolly. You can check it out. You can check out the, uh, the landing page for that there. Um, we also <coughs> received some monicum of support. The Seen and Heard in... Mm-hmm edmonton podcast network i think we got to mention this week didn't we yeah we made the papers made the papers nice. uh this this time around um so karen over at seen and uh does a really nice job of curating an awesome list and group of edmonton writers content creators bloggers and podcasters uh and we really appreciate that she includes us in that list of mm-hmm. edmonton content creators we show up every now and then on the, the main yep, page. We, we hit the roundup every now and then. I've been on the show before, um, so we want to say thanks to her mm-hmm. for including us in that. Uh, and you can check her out there, seenandheardyeg.com. Um, so as we teased in the upfront, uh, we solicited our Facebook uh, f- followers to provide us with some topics, considering our guest had... Uh, last minute bailed out on us not not that it's anybody's fault important work is being done we we do but jest he uh, is actually an adult who has yeah, adult yeah, commitments that come up that sometimes does things um those, those things that have real import whereas i'm unemployed as of 4 p.m on friday we're recording this on a monday, monday. and matt sells beer for a living so Moved. um so as we can as we are want to do we we reached out to our fan base and at least one of them got back to us <laughs> Uh, so All one of our fans. Some topics, and God damn it, I'm going to read every one of them. If we don't answer them, that's one thing, but I'm, I'm going to read them. Uh, so the first one, friend of the show, <laughs> Shane Wellen, writes, what does Paul think of Fallout 4? Uh, and there's a follow-up. Remember when Fallout Talk was a thing on Drink This? Those were the days. Uh, to which <laughs> we will say a hearty and resounding, fuck, fuck you, you, Shane. Shane. We have recorded at least three episodes where we did very little other than spiel about Fallout. (laughs) Uh, Next comes from listener Ryan Bolin. This is also a two-part question. Uh, Matt, how do you feel about Le Pen stepping down as leader of the National Front? Does this guarantee a Macron win? Or Marceau? I don't don't know how to say his name. I think it's Macron. Macron? Yeah. Um, So literally today, like 
within hours. Uh, I This was news to me when I, I saw this. I had not realized. So we haven't really read any of the articles other <clears throat> than reading headlines. Yeah. I guess uh, La Pan. So for those who are not aware, France yeah. is having an election right now between their own anti-Semitic fascist and uh, a whole range of very left-wing, other conservative, and one centrist guy who, much like when Marie uh, Le Pen's father lost like had the end of his political career with uh what's his name in 2004 uh well she drummed him out of the party well no no no. like he he was leader um he ran and he was projected to do quite well and then everybody who wasn't a fascist banded around the centrist to make sure that he didn't win and the same thing has basically happened where the really boring right dead in the middle guy uh has ended up beating out all of the other left-wing candidates um including Mm -hmm. some very far left-wing candidates uh who have now all gone and thrown their support behind him so the, the as of yesterday, they all endorsed him. And uh, I guess Le Pen has resigned from head of the National Front. But which... that doesn't mean she's not still, as far as I know, that <clears throat> she's still running for what, yeah, president? I think so. Uh, and I don't, I have no concept of how their government is structured. What kind I of, have a little bit, but... If they have a parliamentary system of some kind. I mean, I'm going to answer Boland's question to say that, yes, I think this probably means that Macron is going to win, but he was always going to win. As, yeah. of, as of the results yesterday the odds became significantly higher because everybody who was going to throw a protest vote against like fuck the system because France has got huge youth unemployment, yeah, which is why a lot of this is the populism is happening. They've also been the victim of several terrorist attacks or perceived terrorist attacks in the past. Honestly, I think two to three years. A lot of that is that they're they're looking at something like twenty percent uh, under twenty five unemployment. So you think it's an economics issue? It's an it's an economics thing. It's an anti EU thing. It's it's a lot of what drove Brexit last year and what drove Trump. It's it's people not understanding the economics behind why things are happening and then voting to burn it all down right. out of anger. And I, I'm sympathetic on some level to that, but it's why the fear coming into France's election was that it was going to be Le Pen and the guy whose name is escaping me at the moment, who was the yeah. like far left guy, um, who had very similar opinions. They both wanted to get out of the Eurozone. <laughs> yeah, they wanted they to leave the like EU. Radical, they're looking for a radical secularizing of their culture. The difference is that Le Pen blames that on Muslims and Jews. Yeah. And the far left guy blames it on the EU and government in the Netherlands and the Hague. But, I mean, essentially, like, it was a very similar platform in that respect. Interesting. Um, so I, I would say this is a vote for sanity, much as the, uh, the election in Austria about two or three months back where their fascist candidate got resoundingly trounced. And they elected a, a centrist as well. Uh, it's really terrible that Brexit and Trump had to be what kind of seems to be driving some of this. But sanity right. is prevailing. So you're saying that you think the, the French will prevail. They'll, democracy will prevail in France. I think that based on what I have seen and, you know, by the time this episode comes out, Le Pen will be der Sturmenführer of France. But <laughs> uh, no, I, I sorry, that was a really off color joke. I, you know, I don't even know what that means. It was, you know. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure I know what it means. It's a Nazi reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but I, like, pro- I could very well be proven wrong, but my suspicion based on what I've seen in the past little while is that people are, are seeing the results of Brexit and Trump and going, eh, maybe we don't want to do that here too. Yeah. Maybe populism isn't a great idea. <laughs> maybe this is not the answer. Maybe we should try and reform the system rather than burn it all to the ground. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's just a thought. Yeah, maybe. I, I like. I, said, I I know so little about it other than that she wants to ban all religious garments. Le Pen is a fascist. Yeah. Like straight up, she uh, tries to hide it, but she's a fucking fascist. Yeah. And not in the like, you know, we 
lefty progressive types in Canada used to like to call Harper a borderline fascist. Not that I mean, call him a neo, uh, no, I think a I proto fascist. Which, eh, but like she's just a flat out like. Yeah. Not only is she a fascist, she's like a second generation fascist. Yeah. And she had to make a big show. Like I said, she had to make a big yeah. show to kicking him out of the party. Except that she? he's still like on the advisory council yeah. and showed up to court with her last year. It's so that was like firing a 67 year old man with a documented history of violent outbursts and abuse uh, after paying $13 million to silence some women so he can go write some books with a quarter of a million yeah. dollar salary. Let us all take a moment to celebrate your bravery. Let's, uh, that's not a topical reference to <laughs> anything. Something like that? Yeah. Okay, cool. By the by, did you hear about the uh, the plot of his book that he wrote 20 yeah, years ago? Yeah, it's like, where... it's Basic Instinct, isn't it? No, it's him. Yeah, it, but it's in the Basic Instinct in the sense that in Basic Instinct, <clears throat> Sharon Stone writes a book about a, oh, okay, a murder novel, and then somebody she knows dies in the exact fashion in her book. Kind of. Um, It's more that... Not uh, that Bill O'Reilly's killed anybody. Oh, we dropped it. Yet. All of all of the main characters in Bill O'Reilly's one novel to date have been thinly disguised versions of himself. Yeah. Except that the the quote unquote antagonist is a, a vindictive former television personality who gets taken down by people and then goes and murders them all. And then the uh, the, the female hero of the book is somebody who just keeps lamenting about why men aren't like sexually harassing her and just constantly talking about that, how great her tits are is that right so it's, it's like she's sad that people don't remark on yeah. the state of her body yeah basically <laughs> so it's he's written that's him, not in and of itself funny but the fact that that's <clears throat> what bill o'reilly think women think is fucked so up. here's the fun thing both of the male main characters of that book are basically him they're scrappy irish guys who <laughs> you know stand up for their morals and whatever and the only major female character is basically what uh, O'Reilly wishes women were like receptive <laughs> to aggressive alpha men who will tell them what they want to do to them and and feel them up without asking and talk about how great their tits so are. So it's like Billy O'Flaherty and Johnny Johnny O'Billo. Kind of, yeah. I, th- I think slightly jolly, but once attractive. The serial killer guy, I think his name like Michael Shannon, and the cop is like Billy O'Flanahan yeah, or something. Yeah. It's like. Okay, I'm Irish too, but Guys like, who say come on, like man. Fada. Yeah. I I had heard that he had written like this weird fucked up revenge novel yeah. about, <clears throat> but I didn't realize it was that bad. Fuck um, that so guy. recently, some people have been reading out quotes of the sex scenes in that. Uh, I believe I've heard John Oliver do. Oh it God, show. it's bad. I think it might have been Oliver who said that this is a man who has never sexually pleased a woman in his life. Um. <clears throat> But we got sidetracked by Billow. Yes. Uh, in talking about fascism. So the French are probably not going to elect a fascist. I don't think so. Uh, but we'll find out on May 7th. Um, his follow-up was, but seriously, so we can only assume. That that was maybe facetious. Little uh, did he know we're politics wonks. <laughs> well, one of us is a little more than the other. Yes, perhaps. Uh, I'm glad we got that in because that's what we were going to talk about. That's what we were supposed to talk about today. Not French fascists necessarily, <laughs> but, you know. Bill O'Reilly's gen- serial killer fantasies? Or, or Bill O'Reilly's, which I want to come back to. Uh, or just general bloated, angry conservative men. Um, politics. We were going to yeah. talk about politics. Uh, Our sec- guest, who we won't name because he will probably be on at some point, is a little bit of a different flavor of politics yeah. than Matt and I. But seriously, Ryan writes, how about the frequency uh, of acetyldehyde in beer, uh, in commercial beer, to which Paul and I say, we're 
wine guys that's yeah. not considered an, like when we started drinking that wasn't considered an off flavor no that was a oh we're drinking an oaky california chardonnay yeah, isn't this lovely if, uh, if i will sell this to people that want oaky california chardonnay i mean i know it's considered an off flavor but and, and like yeah if it's aggressive it bugs me but it's not something yeah. i've smoked too much of my palate away to, to notice uh moving on rapid fire bullet points no we can't do rapid fire remember <clears throat> um friend of the show <laughs> sam lofstrand writes i want to hear a top-down tasting of all fernie brewing's great products uh <laughs> to which i told him he could start his own damn shill cast yeah uh matt has to sell his own beer but the reason Sam is the friend is a friend of the show is because his follow up to that was you guys have listeners, which <laughs> touched me a little bit. Yeah, inside. me too. Also, Sam has been on the show and he's a lovely person. He's a fun he, guy. He brought us lots and lots of delicious Fernie beer. Frenemy of the show, Shane, <laughs> writes in to ask Sega or Nintendo, to which we say, fuck, fuck you, you, Shane. Shane. But also T- Nintendo. Yeah. Because we're not monsters. No, exactly. It'll teach you not to come on this goddamn show when we'd ask you. To. Uh, I think we're out of questions. Frenemy of the show. Show. I can't take credit for that either. Uh, whatever this is also has a frenemy of the show. Mm. It's pretty apt, though. Yeah. No, I think that's that's pretty accurate. Um, so we're out of questions. I feel like there was stuff we were talking about before we went live. I, also testing out a new microphone. Yeah. Though, which I'm microphones. Very happy. This is new too, isn't it? No, just the just the wind. This the bit? wind suck. Ah, it's very red. Mm-hmm. It's like a clown nose on the end of a phallus. At the end of my nose. I'm enjoying testing this. New, we're taking this new <clears> mic <throat> for a spin. I like it. I like it a lot. I want. I hope that you notice that we have invested our hard-earned dollars. And by we, Matt means him. Well, then that's not even what I was getting. <laughs> to improve the quality of this show in whatever way we can, because we are good christian boys and we care about your listening experience you the listener we care that's why we took the time to read and respond to every single question that that, this is the quality you get Mm -hmm. on drink dedication this is how much we care about our fans was uh was the good christian boys bit also not from that followed episode no no, wasn't it oh i thought it was i believe that started in the government is coming for your something Drink this pod episode oh, yeah. sixty-three, uh, and was followed up into nothing says super fun, happy, good times like a Cormac McCarthy novel. <laughs> yeah, drink this pod episode sixty-four. These have dropped, right? They will have by the time okay. this comes out. Um, Did you hear that Cormac McCarthy wrote for the first time in his career a nonfiction essay that he published in National Geographic recently? No, about the formation of linguistics and thought versus is it good i don't know i haven't read it i read a, a new yorker piece where they interviewed him about it he is a grumpy old man yeah i believe it. he uh apparently hasn't read fiction in like 20 years because he thinks it's not good and when asked questions about how he develops his style or why he writes the way he writes he tells uh possibly semi-fictionalized parables taken from people's lives <laughs> he's he seems like exactly how I thought he would be from having read several of his novels, and I'm, I'm both very happy and very, not happy about that. Yeah. He seems like a very crotchety old man who likes to write about bleak, blood-swept <laughs> vistas. Which, let's be honest here, I've been constantly rereading Blood Meridian for yeah. like four years, so obviously I dig it. But 
every now and then it's like man you are really full of yourself aren't you you know oh speaking of like learning to read and shit since uh we had that conversation about reading i have like made a concerted effort to read more fucking books nice i'm very glad to hear that picked this up a while ago (laughs) and then put it down and i picked it up again after i finished editing that it's really good uh do we want to plug this so well maybe i'll save it for save it for sad when it's over but okay well we're talking about that yeah i've picked up a couple of books that i like fully intend to finish but so um because I think our re-recording of this went a little off the rails. Matt and I had an interview. Yeah. Uh, oh, for... it's good. Like I'm a master editor, man. It's good. okay. They know how good it is. They've heard it. There. Oh, has this been come out already? Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, then I, I won't bother going into details. But I interviewed Matt for a school thing about reading, and yeah. we and turned it into an episode. Not uh, that interview because that would violate ethics. But we re-recorded. No. So I, I I bought a copy of Arrival which mm-hmm. I haven't started yet, but I'm going to, uh, and about this book called company town, which is like, I've set, heard about that. Yeah. It was part of Canada read or what a Canada read selection. Uh, it's about, a uh, like dystopian future where companies own these giant, like rigs that are also cities, right? Mm-hmm. Like oil rigs on the coast of Canada. Uh, and it's about this woman who doesn't, like everybody has these like, like technological upgrades to their bodies yeah i was reading about this recently um one of the science fiction authors i follow a guy by the name of john scalzi who you would probably like his work we yeah. can talk about that more in a minute cool. but he is one of the the really big names in early blogging oh, um okay. and he's he's actually distinctly known by three different streams of people some of whom may have no idea about what he does <laughs> otherwise so uh he was a uh like a film critic i think for the la times or, or not the la Weird. times for something in the 90s yeah. um and became a really early uh, blogger, whatever is the name of his his website, and he's right. been writing on that since like 1998. Interesting. Um, and uh, because he had been writing professionally in a journalistic capacity for quite a long time, uh, he decided to try his hand at writing fiction, and he wrote a couple of novels, one of which he published on his website, which was incredibly novel for 2000. Yeah. Um, and I think he he serialized the next one, which became, uh, which was the, a novel called Old Man's War which became big. Yeah. He's one of the, the really noticeable names in uh, contemporary military science fiction. Oh, okay. Uh, and despite the fact that he's a pretty progressive guy, he was intentionally trying to do a Heinleinian thing. Uh, so his first couple, like his first trilogy was meant to be... What's Heinleinian? Like Heinlein, like the uh, Robert Heinlein. Like he wrote a book that was akin to uh, Starship Troopers. Oh, like satire. Not exactly. The first one, if you didn't know any of his politics outside of that and you hadn't read the rest of the series, like people who read that think he's a conservative. Right. He's not. Okay. Um, and over the original trilogy, because he's written like six of them in this universe by this point, uh, he undermines a lot of that by showing that the, the main government is... Anyway, I don't need to go into it, but... Yeah. <clears throat> no, um, like in Starship Troopers where the... Like more like Starship Troopers the movie than Starship Troopers the book. Oh, I've only ever seen the movie. Okay. Um, and the movie strikes me as like it, it strikes me as satire. It is satire. Yeah. Uh, Old Man's War is not satirical in that sense. It is undermines some tropes a little bit the further into the series you get. But he also wrote a book called Red Shirts, which won him a Hugo, um, which was satire, and right. it was uh, the crew of a, a starship like Star Trek that turned out to be in a TV sh- series or something where the Red Shirts just consistently get murdered in horrible ways. I haven't actually read it. I, I own okay. it, but that's that's one that he's pretty well known for. So he's, he's a pretty successful author. Um, about two years back, 
he got signed to tour for a 10 book three million dollar 10-year contract right which was like huge that's the one of the longest contracts ever signed because he's he's very snarky and his books move at a really good pace which is why i think you might like them yeah. since some of what we talked about was that you're you the enjoy pacing, that more yeah. like the pace the fast pacing and the kind of more audio or oral yeah focus so like he's really light on description he doesn't talk about his characters much it's just it's dialogue right <clears throat> um there's actually another novel he wrote called locked in which was a, a near future like detective story uh where he consciously never identifies the narrator by race or gender um, because it's not, rel- I mean, again, it, there's a whole, like the narrator is in fact a character. In the yes. Novel. It's a first person narrative. Right. Um, but the, the, the physical description of the person in question is, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say that there is one reference to race, but the gender is never identified. Right. Um, and actually when they did an audiobook version of it, they had both a, a male and a female narrator and two different releases explicitly as a, this is, this character's gender is not identified. Yeah. Um, which was a, him playing on that a bit. Uh, and also subverted some tropes in that um, when I read this on a plane coming back from a conference a couple of years ago, I implicitly assumed since the character is the child of wealthy, successful politicians that they were white and yeah. they're black. Oh, interesting. And that doesn't come out until like three quarters of the way into the novel in one reference. So anyways, huh. he's late on description. He's big on that kind yeah, yeah. of style of writing. Um, but he's also a prolific blogger and he's a prolific Twitterer. Right. And so Twitter. he's... Tweeter. He's commented on a few t- occasions that they're very much different streams of his audience who don't even necessarily know that he's right. an author, aside from when it comes up on on the site. Um, Company Town. Right. So one of the other things that... Thank you. Somebody's paying attention. Company Town. Yeah. So one of the other things that he's done for a really long time is to take authors um, and like every once or twice a week or something, he has... Uh, post that he calls the big idea mm-hmm. where he gives an author generally somebody who's maybe a little bit less well-known though not universally an opportunity to write about an upcoming publication um, on his site which gets like hundreds of thousands of views a day and so i've actually found out about quite a few really interesting genre novels through the big idea post uh, one of them which you might also really enjoy was called depth which was very much a noir story i love noir uh except with some flips on it so it's science fiction it's it's set in a flooded new york in the future um the main character is a woman but otherwise is essentially humphrey bogart right she's a hard drinking hard smoking very sexually aggressive whatever uh the femme fatale is a ditzy uh i think anthropology student male anthropology student from spain and it was written by a gay guy oh neat and apparently didn't sell well enough that it's probably not going to get a sequel which is really terrible but It's that kind of like, this is something that definitely sold a lot more units because it was on Scalzi's site than right. it would have otherwise because he's big on trying to promote people. Yeah, yeah. And I think the Dembis era company town was on there. It's it's okay. Uh, I'll finish it. I'm not sure that I love it. Uh, well, geez, I just had a 10 minute long winded segue to talk about how great this is and then you're going to shit on it. I, I mean, maybe it's just not for me um, or maybe it'll like take me a, while, a little bit. Like I'm not that deep into it. I mm-hmm. think I got like three or four chapters in and then I jump back on this other book that I want to talk about mm-hmm. later. Um, but it's, it's, it's an interesting, co- the concept is keeping me invested. Uh, and there is like kind of a mystery to all of it, which is at least so far, I think, which is kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Um, I brought him up earlier to have you, um, have you listened to or seen Gameshi's YouTube channel? We talked about this. Did we? Yeah. Uh, not on the air. No, we didn't. But this I was to. when we went for lunch last week or the week before last. Did we talk about yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, it's awful where he apparently he's still like i haven't listened to it and i'm not going is to is there more 
Well, no, no, it might have just been the, the first episode or two, or whatever that came out. Apparently, he's still he can do the voice still. Yeah, but, but it's that weird. was all he had was the voice. Yeah. Everything else was apparently done by other people. He's a terrible writer. So a terrible writer. So as regular listeners of the show probably know, I'm yeah, a fan. We, we hate Gian Gameshi now. Well, um, I also read the Globe and Mail a lot. Was where I was getting with that, and there was an article that came out a day or two after those launched, which just ripped him to fucking shreds. As it should have. It's terrible. <clears throat> so af- he started a show called the Ideation Project. Which, come on, man! Like, which is dumb. Just from the fucking name, you should know this is not something you want to listen to. Yeah, it's it's dumb. There's only three. That's guess- a new one. There was only two, I think. Yeah, that's true. When we last talked about this, at least. Seriously though, fuck that guy. And this is the thing that he came back to like, if he's trying to find redemption, he came back yeah. too quickly because it's only been two years. And like, if he was going to try and, if he was going to try and pull this shit, he needed to do the Mel Gibson route and disappear for a for, fucking decade. Yeah. You got to go to movie jail for a while. And then get, you know, somebody who's respected and still liked to come out and say like, well, he's not that bad. Jody Foster. Yeah. That was who that was for him. Um, but the show itself is like, it's this, this thinly veiled, sad sack store sad stack little essays about how nobody likes him because like he's being ostracized from the public spaces but he's couching into the idea that like people are mean to immigrants and they're Mm -hmm. nasty to others online like um yeah that's that's thank you for your dispatch from 2010 i appreciate that also, I get this is about you. I get yeah. like, this is the saddest non-Mia culpa I've ever seen in my entire life. Which is why on a lot of respects, or on a lot of levels, the way that uh, the trial with him went was really too bad because it's given him some grounds to say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I, I got let off. Where yeah. the, the the finding for that was not that he didn't do anything wrong. It's that they couldn't legally, they didn't had not met the legal standard yeah. to prove it. That doesn't mean he didn't do it. Exactly. They and just, the judge even said at the time, like, this doesn't excuse anything. It's just, I like, by the standards of the law. law I can't charge, I, I can't I, convict you of a crime. You are not beyond reasonable doubt by the standards laid out in legislation, not in, like, moral understanding of things. People understand that you're an abusive shitbag. Yeah. You didn't get away from that. No, no he didn't. It's, uh, it's... It's I just I don't understand who told him that was a good idea. Like who went? Who did he talk to? Probably himself in the mirror. Well, Gian, you're so smart. He spent money. Like money was spent on this, yeah. uh, hiring a staff and shit like that. So how did somebody not think to be like, mm, it might be a little soon for this? Like, a you shouldn't do this ever. Mm-hmm. And B if you're gonna do it now, you're not gonna get away with it. Now. Mm. I'm glad that he hasn't. I no, mean, like I'm kind of glad he did do it now because this probably killed it. Uh, but have you? Well, if you haven't seen it, then maybe not. I like also sifted through one of their comment pages, mm-hmm. and it's like it doesn't seem to be a lot of like it doesn't seem to be a lot of people either tearing him down or really, yeah, yeah, which really surprised me. Like they're actually what I read was people engaging with the stupid concept he was introducing so there was somebody that i used to be friends with who himself ended up being kind of an abusive shitbag so whatever and take this with that context but when all of this came out uh at the time his comment was that it was really too bad because he really liked q and he liked that crappy band that he was in and moxie fruvis yeah which 
I think it was from the Globe article, or maybe it was something that you said or on your Facebook comment thing. But anyways, I didn't make this up. But that uh, that was a high school band that should have died yeah. when they it, were 18 uh, yeah, or something. Yeah, somebody on that thread said it. <clears throat> but anyways, yeah. Um, this guy said, you know, that something to the effect of it was really too bad because he, he enjoyed the show and would like him to have stayed around. And I feel like maybe that's the kind of attitude of people that would try to, like, they miss yeah. listening. Like, the guy's got a nice voice. He could do the, the patter. Yep. He was a good interviewer, if not a good writer. I used to really Me like too. that show. Me too. Really liked it. Um, I'm gl- I'm really glad to know that everything I liked about it was generated by other yeah, people. Aside from his voice. Yeah. Aside from his <laughs> like the delivery. Yeah. He he was just a vessel for other people's ideas. That actually makes me feel really good. And a, a decent interviewer. And I'm but that, sure you don't that have CBC be... didn't keep any of them. Nope. In positions where they're going to do anything. Nope. Which is probably why. God bless him. Chad did not do a good job with Q. He was completely. Uh, he was a bad pick. Jesse Brown pointed this out. Like Chad was completely set up to fail so that they could put whatever generic white guy is in there now. Well, supposedly Tom the g- power is fine. He's okay at it. I have heard that he was like really good at other things and I know nothing about him cause I don't really listen to radio anymore, he's, but I mean, he's, he's okay. I've listened to the show. It's, it's fine. Mm. Um, I just, I think the whole format, the whole show itself just has a stain on it now. Like there's nothing that's going to, make that the vehicle that it was for that for the cbc yeah which is really too bad like that's the the biggest casualty in all of that in my mind was that it just gave people one more brick to throw at the cbc see and like rightfully so they should be called out for that uh whatever the fuck baldy who's retiring this year oh mansbridge yeah pastor mansbridge yeah exactly i can't claim that joke either but okay it's a good one (laughs) Um, but I don't, I don't like that guy. I don't like him at all. I don't think he's good for the CBC. I really like the CBC. I think the CBC should make better choices. So, uh, that particular nickname I am lifting from the Globe. I'm lifting that from the Globe's television critic, John Doyle, who is, if you don't read him, I should send you something. He actually had a feud with Bill O'Reilly in 2004 (laughs) when Fox News came up here. And by feud, I mean, he wrote some really snarky shit about Fox News and Bill O'Reilly, which then got picked up by Bill O'Reilly, who called the Globe a far left canadian newspaper chain which <laughs> communist rag akin to the socialist worker so then doyle got just like hundreds of expletive filled angry angry emails which he then wrote about because that kind of shit amuses him and it escalated to a point where he kept making fun of bill o'reilly uh that it ended up in a new york times article <laughs> <laughs> this Canadian op-ed columnist was just sh- eating his fucking lunch. <laughs> oh, it was great. So this week when O'Reilly got fired, Doyle wrote a column, like a column about it because yeah. he wanted to do a victory lap, basically. Yeah, absolutely, but as he should. Uh, fuck. Anyways, yeah, Doyle has written some really snarky shit about the CBC and generally he's like the bitchy Canadian TV <sighs> critic, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, but Mansbridge in particular, he has taken to task on a number of occasions because, uh, I mean, yeah, he feels like it's, it, he calls it sermonizing or whatever. But the big one was that Mansbridge announced his retirement like a year and a half out yeah. so that he could retire for the Canada 150 yeah. celebration. And he had a whole thing about how this was like, it was essentially just a testament to Mansbridge's ego that yes, he's so is. important that he just has to be involved with this. And him announcing this is as big of a deal as the Canada 150 thing yeah. is being made out to be by the government. And I'll see if I can dig that out. Also, 
when Harper was prime minister, um, he was always referred to as our glorious leader. Awesome. Like, you, you would like well, this guy. Fuck, what is wrong with the CBC? <laughs> Did I tell you about... I, this was... Communist Broadcasting Company, my ass. Months ago. Uh, that Rex Murphy just went on a... As he tends to do. Had gone on a strip about Trudeau and celebrity politics culture. And it was just... Oh, you know, they, I'm a... Him and the him and Sophie Gregoire could have their own reality show. Like it was just it was such an old man nonsense. But at the end, of, like at the end of his little fucking witty repartee, he's like makes a crack about Ben Mulrooney. He's like Ben Mulrooney could host it. Like what the fuck did Ben Mulrooney <laughs> do to you? <laughs> What's your goddamn problem with Ben Mulrooney? He's minding his own business, talking to celebrities, and all of a sudden Rex Murphy's like fuck him too. Probably just as the also handsome son of a former prime minister i guess so but maybe. i don't know i have a bit of a soft spot for x murphy but really why he's loquacious so he's a dink i know i'm not saying i agree with him i just i like listening to him i wish he would go the fuck away <laughs> when, he, when he said he was retiring i didn't realize he just meant from cross-country checkup <laughs> like he just didn't want to work on sundays anymore mm-hmm. like, awesome that's great one down there's just a few left no no, there he is on the national once a week. Sadly, we lost the good one. Which one? Uh, the fellow who just died. Who just died? Final Cafe. Oh, Stuart McLean. Yeah, yeah thank yeah. you. It was like he died a while ago. Well, like six months. Yeah, yeah. But by just, I thought <clears> you meant <throat> like yesterday. No, I don't think anybody important has died recently to me. Oh man, speaking of the CBC, um, I don't fuck it. I'm pulling this from the docket of the Canadiana show because I just I can't believe that they're doing this. Uh. Watching the hockey games, they'll play like the commentator, the color commentators will read promos, like, mm-hmm. uh, and they've been promoing that Anne of Green Gables. Remake. Oh, yeah. Uh, but every single time they sell it as from the Emmy award winning writer of Breaking Bad comes Anne. Right. As who is who is buying Green Gables, like. Did you love a show about meth dealers in Arizona? You'll love this show about a sad little orphan girl who was mistaken for a boy in PEI. So interesting piece that I actually read about this a little while back when all of that got announced is that there are a lot of very, particularly for the time it was written, pretty progressive themes around that. Um, And that it's not, it's not that uh, they're going to have Anne cooking blue meth in the basement, but just that there's maybe a little bit more serious dramatic weight to the people behind the program because I, they aren't doing a kid's show. No, they're not. And it, it just, it surprised me that that was the way they thought they were going to sell that. Show. Yeah. Well, it's the CBC. They also did that. This is us series depicting the French as dirty hillbillies and native people. No, is I not thought existing. The this is us series was fine. I thought it was like, there was another one that was garbage. No, the, this is us thing is, oh, is it like the smelly Frenchman. Aboriginal people don't exist. The French are smelly hillbillies and the English are well-groomed. <laughs> the notion of French hillbillies really amuses the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I feel like I, I want to blame that on a relic of the Harper government, but I feel like that's probably cutting the Trudeau guys too much, too much slack. slack. Like, I feel like... They signed off and have promoted this shit, so... It's true. He and, introduced it, didn't he? Yeah. I Well, and also all of the people that they interviewed are like, they got that guy from mixed martial arts, Jean St. Pierre. Jean St. Pierre. So they got him on, but they didn't bring on any actual like Quebecois historians. And everybody they interviewed was in English. And like, don't get me wrong. I'm not exactly a French nationalist coming from no, Victoria. Like they're but not like, a part of the history of this if you're, country. If you're going to do the whole like, this is us narrative of like, 
you know, French and Canadian, French yeah. and English and, you could and doing, Aboriginal peoples. Like it's amazing how those people, some of those people really don't want to be a part of your bullshit. Yeah. I can't imagine why they'd think that. I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before and you've said you have not watched uh, Rick Mercer's first sitcom made in Canada out of this hour's 22 minutes. No, I haven't. <clears throat> I like, I remember it, you can't show. find it really because it was never released on anything they put out the first season on vhs in like 2002 really? and that was it and you just can't find it anywhere? i have tried to track it down because really? i remember that being one of my favorite shows because it was just ridiculous um for those would probably be everybody in the audience that yeah. don't remember this uh when rick mercer left this hour is 22 minutes and before the mercer report he did a but a four or five season sitcom which was a, a satirical version of salter street productions which is the company that makes this hour is 22 minutes and, yeah um so he left this hour to make a show yeah, but, fun of the yeah, production of this hour. Basically. And it was sharp. I remember it being on. Like I remember <clears throat> I'm sure I've seen episodes of it. So why I bring this up is that everything that's happened with the This Is Us thing just makes me think of that fictional studio. Yeah. And how it was a like, well, it's not audience testing well that the French are like clean and nice. So let's <laughs> yeah. let's make them dirtier and like not shaved for a little while before they go and talk to the English and oh we're not we're not really so sure that we want to have so many aboriginal people here i maybe the the, the poor white people from the greater suburbs of the GTA are not digging this so let's just like <laughs> take the ford voters aren't digging it let's just take them out the ford voters aren't this isn't testing <laughs> this isn't testing well in etobicoke <laughs> that's going to be the title <laughs> the ford voters aren't digging this Oh. oh, do you think that's insensitive now that he's dead? No, fuck that guy. <laughs> okay, then. As somebody who lost a parent to a long and slow decline from cancer, I am very empathetic to his family, and I'm sorry that that was the way he went, but the world is an objectively better place with that shit stain out of it. Whoa. And I will stand by that. The views of Paul Gifford do not reflect those of Drink This Podcast, Screaming Docs and Studios, or any other participants therein. Except that they do. <laughs> oh, that's, uh... That's cutting. Are we taking that out? Oh, no. I don't know. Maybe. Being cutting, I see. Yeah. No. Like, I said it when he died, and I stand by it. My yeah. dad said the same thing. Okay. Like, they was not a good person. I don't think I, I can make that statement pretty comfortably. Yeah. I, I am fundamentally not okay with saying that I'm glad somebody's dead. I said that, but I said the same thing about Castro. Yep. I was only sad that my uh, argument about how certain just bad old people kept going was through pure evil i couldn't make that anymore because it was <laughs> stalin and castro <laughs> there's no reason that any of them should have lived as old as they did they had to poison stalin with like a gallon of warfarin yeah he was in his 70s and still stayed up all night partying. so you were in the castro was just going because he was evil that was all that was keeping him going you like you're the, you have that visceral reaction to fidel castro no it was just he was one of those examples that i oh and so it's like he was Jimmy like, Carter being history's greatest monster. Well, okay. Let's not compare the world's sweetest angel to Castro. No, I'm, not. I'm comparing the people in the Simpsons episode <laughs> who refer to him as the world's greatest monster oh. because he wore sweaters and put solar panels on the White House. What a fucking uh. elitist asshole. Couldn't say Italian, right? Fuck him. Sell your goddamn peanut farm. Is it? Oh. Now I'm sad again that mm. in the era of Jimmy Carter's peanut farm and Danny Quayle, yeah. I wish I'd studied Latin in high school so that I could have spoke to the people in Latin America. Now we've got Trump in the White House. Yeah. I always suspected uh, that 
the Bible was so <laughs> catching there because it was kind of in their language. Like they are like they could read some of the source material. No, mm. I no. You realize that the Bible wasn't written in Latin, right? But it would have been the language that it was translated in. Like, yes and no. That allowed the people like translating it into that language so made it readily available to all isn't that the point pretty sure that's how that story goes not within the catholic church okay uh the publishing of the bible in the common vernacular was a really controversial thing that did not happen until very late into the publishing era yeah that's part of why protestant churches ended up starting to come up because the one of the core ideals behind at least some branches of protestantism is that there should be a more direct connection between you and god yeah which is akin to islam that's which why is, they don't like the pope well it's also why people's common understanding of islam is really mistaken because the people the fundamentalists like quote-unquote fundamentalists who say that you have to interpret uh the quran through their interpretation of it is right. fundamentally opposed to the core tenet of the religion which is why they don't have a formal priest ca- uh, cast hmm. because the idea is that there should be nobody between you and god yeah a direct relationship yeah and that there are people who help to interpret as scholars but that their words should never supersede yours yeah your understanding of your relationship which is where some of the protestant churches have theoretically gone um and yes why a lot of them really fucking loathe the the catholic church because that's very much the opposite and why uh latin continued to be the main language of sermons for as long as it did like vatican ii was in the 1940s yeah no i'm like no sorry 1960s what am i saying my dad did like when he was a kid he went to mass in latin yeah and he did not speak Latin. He had no idea what they were talking about. But the idea was that um, it made it not accessible to the common person. And so you needed to have the formal paid yeah. uh, cast to interpret, right? That, that their word was better than yours as some dirty, smelly farmer. What do you fucking know? You didn't go to seminary. Smelly farmer. Uh, but in terms of... <laughs> In terms of why... The listeners can't see the disdain that Paul is able to muster for the plebeian <laughs> soil tillers. It, I feel like, given some of the things I've said tonight, Matt really needs to take a picture of what I'm wearing while we're talking about this. Because <laughs> that kind of undercuts a little bit of that there. As I, I pose while he pulls out his phone. Keep talking. <laughs> but no, there's actually a much more complicated relationship around why there is a, a more intense religious fervor, uh, particularly in former Spanish colonies, um, which is tied up with centuries of abuse and of of previous existing religious traditions and the intensity at which uh, culture and uh, religious beliefs and, and all of that was actively annihilated uh, under the Spanish colonial authorities. So there's a lot more to it than just the fact that Spanish is a little closer to Latin than english is um, not to mention that there has been an, a, a vernacular english translation of the bible for 600 years that was actually one of the things one of the first things in most languages published in like the vernacular languages as opposed to more scholarly latin was a translation of the bible hmm. um that was controversial but that was something that started happening in the middle like the late middle ages um which is actually part of why the divine comedy is such a big deal in italian really because that was one of the if not the Maybe first that's the the, sto- the book i'm <clears throat> thinking of that was translated into like the common tongue well it, the divine comedy was written in the common tongue the, maybe that, that's the story it might be because perhaps i'm confusing dante's divine comedy with <clears throat> the bible because well, yeah. i went to school for many years <laughs> to learn things <laughs> i scored very well in several religion classes oh good 
Uh, I know that that is part of why that's such a big deal because it was one of the first like quote unquote novels, one of the first fictional texts that was written in the common tongue after the fall of the Roman Empire, as opposed to Latin. That is exactly what I'm thinking. So like that is that is a neat story, and that's part of why like the Gutenberg Bible was a big deal too yeah. because there were there, and just as a total me being too nerdy about these topics aside, one of the things that I find most frustrating about those who do adhere to like biblical literal uh, literalism particularly in english translations is that if you're looking at an english translation you're likely looking at an english translation of a latin translation of a greek translation yeah. of an aramaic original so like anybody who's ever learned another language can say that one for one translation is impossible yeah, no, you can be idiomatically fluent in both languages and you can't the the two cannot ever be the same text yeah so if you're translating a translation of a translation of a translation it's a and copy it, of a copy of a copy. Of and a copy. in some, well, not even that. It's a rewriting of a rewrite of a rewrite of an original. Right. It'd be like taking one of Shakespeare's sonnets and then feeding it through Babelfish and then Google Translate and then Babelfish again and then doing it into Chinese and then back into uh, English and then into Russian and then right. into like, you're going to end up, it, it's like a game of telephone, maybe a little yeah. bit more no, relatably. I, I gotcha. Point one and point six are not going to be the same thing. And I think since we're referencing The Simpsons a lot, there was one where, yeah, when they had the teacher strike, and Bart purple says, dish I yeah. was literally just about to say Purple Monkey As soon as yes. you said, said telephone, my <clears throat> like gut reaction is to go Purple Monkey Dishwasher. The teachers are going to go on strike, Purple Monkey Dishwasher. So that, that I mean, that this is something that I find frustrating, because I had to write a paper about this, um, this term, about like particularly Protestant biblical literalists, yeah. is that they're looking at an English adaptation of an old English translation. Yeah of again a latin to it's like, been through so many filters that you might as well just be writing it yourself and to say that this is the word of god <clears throat> even if you believe in an uh, yeah. identifiable concrete entity as a creator like it's not yeah it's, it's not his word it's even purple if monkey it was dishwasher originally, it's not anymore which is one thing that i i do respect <clears throat> about some of the traditions around islam again is that uh, I, not that i i think that that was the word of the angel jibril coming from god yeah but like the text of the Quran is what it is, is what it was when it was first written down yeah. within a couple of decades of Muhammad. And, uh, one of the things that I think gets lost a lot, particularly in the West is that, uh, if you are an actual Muslim and you have only ever read the Quran in translation, or as they phrase it, adaptation, yeah. you have not read the Quran. Yeah. You've read an adaptation of it to fit your language. And if yeah. you really want to be a proper Muslim, you, you need to, to read, read it in Arabic. classical, not even Arabic, classical Arabic, oh. which again, I mean, the, the Quran was written down in the 6th century, right? Yeah. So that would be like English to then, right? It is right. a much more poetic, more formal language than what people speak in the everyday. Right. <clears throat> um, and I think that's a really interesting concept because while I have a lot of issues with the, again, quote-unquote fundamentalists, particularly within that religion, which is what people think of when they think of Muslims, yeah. at its core, the idea behind that is that the text is what it always was yeah. and the interpretation of it... at least we're... Well, no. We're reading the text, like we're claiming the word it to be the word of God. And we and haven't is, changed and, it. Yeah, and it hasn't been changed. And, you know, theoretically, since it was memorized as a poem for a long time before it was ever actually written down. Yeah. But, but above and beyond that, also that the interpretation of that text, and with not fucking lunatics. Yeah. Uh, Which is, are a problem in any form of yeah, interpretation. But like the, the interpretation should be left up to you, the reader. If you can read this, then you can, you're engaging yeah. with God. Uh, and... I didn't realize that was a tenet of their faith. Yeah. Interesting. There should be no one between you and the divine is one of the like very core concepts of Islam. Huh. Uh, and there's a lot that Does I can that be. Does that tie into like the, my church is the rock and 
the tree like is that related to that kind of idea like uh the notion that the church is everywhere right like you don't need a building yeah for a church uh like is that where they're drawing kind of i don't know if that's where you can worship god wherever you are you don't need to go through all these like when he was rejecting the idea that they're called pharisees right it's been a really long no that's that's in like jewish tradition yeah but uh (laughs) in the way they tell the stories like jesus butts heads with the with the jewish religious leaders um many times they would have been pharisees yes no the pharisees were a different population group i think i am not oh my god everything i know is a lie i i was raised catholic so like i've got jewish heritage I've been in the passion play a few times we've talked guys with like black shit oh yeah around their arms we've talked about this before and scrolls that, like, on their heads I've, I've got jewish yeah the the tzitzit sit and tefillin sure. um I, like i've got jewish heritage uh, obviously we talked about that but like i was raised irish catholic yeah so i don't know a lot about the old testament i know the new but this testament would be old, this I'm, what i'm talking about <laughs> is the old testament like in the stories are in like in the stories of the new testament uh a lot of them involve Christ. Yeah, having... it's just been a long okay. time. Like I, I haven't been to I mass in like religi- twenty years. Having confrontations <laughs> with the religious teachers, and it's them that send him to Pilate. Like, yes, and I always thought, or I was always thought, I was told that those were the Pharisees. I don't think so. Okay, then my uh, entire life has been a lie. I I forget the exact term, but the the idea behind that. And wow, this is making me trying to think back to like Bible camp when yeah. I was ten. But but neither here <clears> nor there. The point. The the idea behind that was basically that uh, there was they could only spare one person from crucifixion, and they picked somebody else yes. because Jesus was a shit disturber, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I I get that. But neither here nor there. Does the idea? Does the Protestant idea of no probably has some no shared person. connection to that? Um, but. I mean, I'm not a religious scholar. I haven't ever even taken a class in this. I'm just interested in it. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, I've read all of these yeah, things. Like here, I, I assumed you were you had something written down. Uh, I have never written anything, but I've read mm-hmm. written. I, like, I've never read the Quran, but I've read an English adaptation of yeah. it. Yeah. <clears throat> because I don't read classical Arabic. Yeah. <laughs> Shocker, I know. Surprise, surprise. Uh, in terms of that idea that there there should be all of creation as a... a a venue in which to interact with the divine that is much more of a indian religion conception okay uh, i don't know if you know very much about hinduism but the i know their books are awesome well so it's it's quote-unquote polytheistic but um it's not in that well the, they, they don't have, have gods they have avatars everything yeah. is an avatar of i want to say vishnu or something is no it, vishnu is one of the, the prime three i forget what the name of their prime so deity like, is it's not <clears throat> brahma or no the brahma are the priest class it's like the the Kohanim in Judaism. But I thought they were. I thought the words were close. Like the, the, the like what you're describing is every deity is like an avatar of one giant. So essentially, and I'm gonna to take this a little bit less esoteric. Um, there is a Bill Hicks quote that Paul and I are fond of from Tool's second album, which you've, you've heard. <laughs> the long Maybe spiel. That's the title of the episode about how everything is is merely experiencing itself yeah. and that's essentially the everything core is everything the core concept of hinduism is that everything you and i every person every animal yeah. every avatar the trees the plants um are all god aren't there physicists who think something pretty similar like theoretical physicists probably who, who conceive of a similar idea conception of the universe <clears throat> but yeah i mean that that's essentially the, the idea behind like hinduism and, and an aspect of 
a number of religions that kind of came out of the, the Indus Valley and the subcontinent is that all of creation is God experiencing itself. Right. Um, and as a result of that, that there is a connection in everything. Now, culturally, then obviously you end up with like casts and yeah. whatever, and that's a whole different thing. Um, but I, I, and I, I'm not well versed enough in Zoroastrianism to be able to talk about this at all. Uh, but I think that some of that might come from that. And for those who are not aware, Zoroastrianism uh, is the very ancient Persian faith, which is basically the first monotheistic religion, and upon which all of the Abrahamic religions, so Judaism, Christianity, uh, Islam, uh, the others in that region that I'm a little drunk and I'm blanking on the yeah. names of, <clears throat> um, all of that draws on that sort of conception of of a duality between uh, good and evil that both need to exist and that... Um, that that is sort of the basis for our right. our understanding of creation. That good can't exist without evil. Light can't exist without dark. Blah blah blah. We're a ch- podcast about beer. Woo! Well, we're gonna take a break, a uh, quick break, and uh, we'll come back. And Paul and I will talk about a couple things that we actually know things about, uh, and then we'll uh, wrap up the show from there. So we'll all take right, a break. Quick break. We'll be right back. Pause. And we're back. Um, so Paul, we've we've touched on a lot of things today. We got dark uh, or heavy there. We got heavy. Uh, we answered some listeners' questions. Mm-hmm. Fuck Bill O'Reilly. Fuck Shane. Fuck Shane, most of all. Fuck Gian Gomeshi. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else? Fuck Ford voters. Yeah. Um, Trump voters. Sure, why not? Just burn all our bridges with those <laughs> conservative <laughs> listeners that we really rely on. We really do when they chip in the zero dollars. Um. I don't know if there's any. Is there anything else we wanted to hit on? I think we got it. I think we. How much time have we covered tonight? This has got to be at least an hour. Forty minutes. Forty minutes. minutes. So it's all said and done. Right? <clears throat> Do uh, our usual show ending stuff. Yeah, why not? Um, so I was. We were talking earlier about uh, how I've tried to re-embrace the idea of reading. So I, I picked up a couple of Joe Hill books. For those of you who don't know uh joe hill is the son of stephen king King, um who apparently spins a spins a mean yarn i've never cared for his stuff but his son is a pretty (laughs) decent writer uh as i'm learning so i'm partway through heart-shaped box right now and Mm -hmm. it's like it's like the anti-stephen king like as opposed to spending seven chapters it does look pretty tight compared to a stephen king describing shit that really doesn't matter uh it's like bam right away i know what's going on i know why there's a dead man in his hallway Mm -hmm. like i'm i'm with it and like the tension (laughs) is just he draws tension from sources other than like immersing me in this world and then destroying it and to be clear we're still talking about like horror generally oh yeah 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 uh so the premise of heart-shaped box is um this like musician who like i picture as glenn danzig okay um so he's I, i guess he's been in like some dark fucking metally gothy punk bands is the impression that i get anyway mm-hmm. um he's kind of been a bad boy of rock and roll or whatever mm-hmm. uh so one of his live-in flings uh left and committed suicide and her so i'm not sure how much i'm supposed to know or how much i do know but I, like i get the impression that her stepfather committed suicide so he could like spiritually torture <coughs> this musician okay for driving his stepdaughter to to kill herself right so like i get the impression that he sacrificed his life to become this ethereal spirit mm-hmm. um but it's like i say it, it just it draws tension from places other than 
well, I know so much about this place that now that you've set it on fire, mm-hmm. I feel things about it. Um, which There's I've something... been really <clears throat> impressed with. Something I was reading about very recently that was talking about a similar thing from creating tension from atmosphere as opposed to like jump scares. Yeah. So something about horror. I, I don't remember what. Um, Gore, I find Gore Verbinski is actually pretty good at it. Really? Um, and it, like, it, it, he still feeds into jump scare. But if you watch The Ring, mm-hmm. um, I think the reason that movie is scary is because of the way it's lit. Uh, which mm-hmm. is why I don't think it works more than once. Because there are some of those jump scares, right? Where he just like flashes the lights <clears> at you or like changes something. I think I was actually reading about uh, Hitchcock and... Uh, oh, fuck. The guy who did uh, The Shining. Polanski? Kubrick. No, Kubrick. Uh, uh, Kubrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Kubrick. <clears throat> Where it wasn't necessarily that you're being like terrified from a horrible thing jumping out yeah. at you. It's that it's... it's atmosphere and music yeah um it, you know this, it's funny that we're that we end up chatting about this uh another show that i listened to hosted by kyle marshall who also hosts <laughs> whatever this is is called assumptions mm-hmm. and it's him and his buddy daniel melville jones talking mm-hmm. about stories from a christian and non-christian perspective right so like daniel is a a, a practicing and devout christian mm-hmm. um and kyle is not mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one they, that does the show with with Grant, Grant yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. this is. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he's and they not. talked about horror the other day, uh, and I found that like it's very interesting. They're talking about like where the terror comes from, and like I've always appreciated horror that's steeped heavily in metaphor. It's why I like mm-hmm. the Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. or that builds tension in really interesting ways. Like I don't need to be scared of a knife wielding maniac. I'd rather be like scared of what I think is coming so yeah um so yeah that my sad i'm gonna be sad when this book is over i'm glad that he's written more i'm gonna read i, I also have a copy of horns which i think i want to get on deck as well so i actually think that segues pretty well into what i wanted to talk about sweet lay it on us paul uh so i am sad that it is over since i finished this the other day yeah. um but i finally sat down and watched the first series of or first season of twin peaks oh yeah <clears throat> in its entirety because i've seen bits and pieces and i yeah. was a fan but i've never actually sat down and watched huh and I, i'd like front? I'm not done. I'm only like two or three episodes into season two. Yeah. Um, and I'm my intent is to finish watching that in the movie before the new thing comes out. Right. Is that a Netflix deal? No. It's Showtime. Okay. And it's 18 episodes. It's actually... It got doubled from the original run. Like, it's a proper season. Really? Yeah. Huh. And that happened after... And it continues direct... Like, the new Twin Peaks continues... Well, not directly after, but it, it follows up 25 years later. Yeah. So they're playing with the time gap. They haven't said basically anything else beyond that that's a factor and that it's it's dale cooper finding his way back from where he ended up i mean again i haven't sat down and watched the whole thing back to front so i I know what happens and i yeah fuck it it was 25 years ago i'm not spoiling anything the main character ends up in like the supernatural other world and gets stuck and like uh but ignoring the rest of that because i'm i'm really just talking about the first season it was really tight yeah it was fucking weird, but yeah. it's Lynch, and I wanted it to be weird, and I remembered it being it's, weird. Isn't but it, it's, like, surprisingly normal for a Lynchian Yes vehicle? and no. Um, it's What struck me is that, but for the graphics, uh, like, the, the quality of recording and yeah. everybody being a lot younger, yeah, <clears throat> that could have come out a week ago, and it would have fit in very well in the, the current era TV. It was only eight episodes long. It was tight. Like, it was a, a narrative arc. It ended on a cliffhanger, but, like, it could have been a limited-run Netflix show now. 
and in terms of conventions and in terms of the way it was structured, it would have fit in really well. And I, I understand better now why that was so big of a deal in 1990. Yeah. Because it was heavily serialized. If you missed an episode, you would not know what was going yeah. on. And um, even then. And even then. But I mean, like, it was a, a tight run. Yeah. And it was it was a, a really well a well handled uh I mean, it, it was it was very much adhering to that idea of like short form narrative storytelling. Things happened, and then they came back later, and things were contained. And there was a a, a very well defined middle, like beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. Um, and it was again, it's a Lynch thing, so it's it's weird. And yep. Cooper's a fucking weirdo. There's barking. <clears throat> the jazz thing and the, yeah. all of that. But yeah, and in, in terms of also just the Lynchian weirdness, there was only one really strange moment, which is that very famous. Uh, scene of the the little person actor whose name escapes me, but the yeah. the, the guy who played the the, the little person in yeah. that, where they have a dream sequence and uh, Cooper main like Kyle McLaughlin's character has a dream where he's talking to these people in the Black Lodge and or the Red Lodge, sorry, and uh, uh, you know they're they're revealing some stuff and it doesn't start to get weirder until you get into season two, right? But I finished season one Saturday, I think, and uh, so two days ago, yeah. And that was just what really struck me is that this was a, a like this was actually really well done. It was tight, and I get why this was such a big deal. And even just a couple episodes into season two, it slips off a bit. Yeah, uh, it starts to get weirder, and the plot starts That's, to expand, and it becomes a twenty-two episode season instead right. of eight, and all of that shit. Um, it's not the kind of <clears throat> it's not the tight, well constructed no, mystery that it was. It became like a regular American show, yeah. and as we've moved into the the, the you know. 2010s uh again netflix heavy version of storytelling where we get more of that like british style of like four to ten episode runs where well there aren't filler episodes that's something that even (laughs) netflix as a content creator hasn't quite grasped no a lot of their shows are like three episodes too long the idea of the 13 episode season as opposed to the 28 episode and even then a lot of those seasons yeah 10 episodes or eight much better I honestly would say, like, it, it wasn't perfect TV, but for what it was from the era that it came from, the first season of Twin yeah. Peaks was tight. Interesting. I, I've never I've never watched it in its entirety. <clears throat> I think I've watched the first two or three. Um, it rewards getting through the end, but yeah. part of why this fed in from what you were talking about is that atmosphere and tone are a really big deal on yeah. that show. And so it's it's very consciously drawing on and skewering a couple of really pronounced genres in American storytelling. Um the like primetime soap opera yeah. a la Dallas is definitely a thing where they have just really melodramatic music and just like very over the top scenes of like, Oh, well, but that's intentional because <laughs> sometimes that ends up getting followed up by like somebody getting shot in the head. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, um, Cooper figuring out who to go on interview next and trying to figure out who killed this girl. I guess everybody are, knows are the plot into, of Twin Peaks, yeah. right? Are you into Riverdale at all? I'm like, going to be. This I'm going to watch it. Like 21st century Twin Peaks. It's Twin Peaks meets like high school. It's, yeah. It, yeah. Well. So. <coughs> slight side note, because that's a it's a WB thing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Kelsey has recently got me into watching Buffy with her. Yeah. Um, and while I have my problems with it, because you know it's made in the '90s and it's about a woman written by a man, and, uh, even if that yeah. man is Joss <clears throat> Whedon, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. It, there there are things that are just but it's so curious how it is like the exact template of every cw show 
ever to come after it. Yeah. It's all of their superhero stuff is one <coughs> superpowered individual leads a team of misfits into solving crime. And mm-hmm. Every single one of them. So I'm, I've seen two episodes of Riverdale and I really enjoy the like, it's got the right level of Lynchian absurdity yeah. to it without being too ridiculous and bonkers. So the scene that I was going to cite is about halfway through the first season where uh, Cooper brings all of the small town cops out into the woods and he has a bulletin board up or a, a, a chalkboard with some yeah. stuff taped to it. And he flips it and has a map of China and he says there's this mystical nation called Tibet and he points it out and he talks about how the Dalai Lamas had ruled and blah, 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 and how there was this method. I mean, again, this is also 1990, so yeah. it's a little like, ooh, but it's a little <laughs> racist, but whatever, like moving, acknowledging yeah. that, <clears throat> how he had this idea and a dream of figuring out. So he needs them all to read the names of the suspects that fit with something that a clue they had gotten from this girl's murder. Um, and then he's going to throw a, a, a rock at a bottle on a stump. And every time it's going to have to be in the same place, and so most of them he misses, and then he has one where he hits it, but it doesn't break, and it just sort of moves a little bit. He goes, okay, Lucy, Lucy, put it back exactly where it was and make a note. Make a note of exactly where I hit it and that it didn't break. And then they reset, and he keeps going. One of them breaks, and they go, oh, so so was that was that it? Obviously, to like weird, stilted jazz yeah. music. And he goes, you know, that, so then they go, and it is the person they wanted to go and talk to who leads them to the next clue. Right. <clears throat> but it was just this like five-minute thing where it's Kyle MacLachlan uh, standing in a forest with like the other four actors just sitting there in yeah. chairs looking at him and throwing rocks at a bottle until he I'm breaks one of them. About it. Yeah, and, and, and why the fuck does this happen to happen in the forest? Because reasons. <laughs> okay. But I mean, like, aside from the fact that it's absurd and that's very like that is a Lynchian thing, it it's just that all of even something that weird just fit really well within yeah. the context of it. And you know, his repeated it's it became i guess a 90s version of a meme but him talking about coffee and pie it's a damn fine cup of coffee talking into a tape recorder to a secretary about everything and the the beginning of season two he, I remember he's, that device well at the end of season one he gets shot that's the cliffhanger okay and in the the uh, beginning of season two he's lying on the floor bleeding uh and the elderly clearly somewhat um dementia afflicted uh room service guy comes in and tries to give him his milk while cooper's lying on the floor and he gives him a thumbs up and the guy gives him a thumbs up and then walks out and comes back in and gives him a thumbs up. And Cooper then gives him a thumbs up. <laughs> There's this extended scene. And then when the guy goes, he starts talking. He goes, well, Diane, I really hope that I hit the record button, but I'm lying here and I've been shot and I'm bleeding quite profusely. And I'm, I'm going to have to cancel that request that I made of you for whatever, because I'm, I'm not sure what's going to be happening now, but I really need somebody to call the hospital. <laughs> Well, in the background, the really dumb sheriff's deputy is going, you know, Agent Cooper, Agent Cooper, are you there? Agent Cooper, are you there? Agent Cooper, are you there? Are you there? Uh-huh. For like three minutes. Oh my God. That, it's just, just it's such a weird. <clears throat> annoys the shit out of me. It's meant to be though. And it is just such a weird fucking scene. But like that, that just, anyway, I'm rambling out. I'm, so, I'm so slotty. I'm so slotty. <clears throat> but uh, I was sad when the first season was over. Yeah. It was well done, and um, I'm not necessarily sure that I'm optimistic about the return outside of the fact that Lynch left, came back, and they gave him more episodes, which seem... My understanding is that season two wasn't as good as season one because it was a success, and the network came in and said, well, you got to do this. We need to do 22 episodes. We need to do this. We need to do that. You know, this needs to turn into a thing. What you were doing when we didn't have any faith in you was what was made a success. Yeah. 
because <clears throat> that's that's why networks kids that's why networks are dumb because mm-hmm. it's a bunch of people who hire as a network executive and not that i've worked in the industry not that i know much about it but it seems to me that as somebody who like puts shit on television it's your job to find people who <sighs> the jet who at least intense pockets of subculture think are really good at picking a color and then you hire them so that they can pick colors mm-hmm. and then you start telling them what colors to pick yeah basically you didn't you didn't hire them so that you could tell them what colors to pick you hired them because they were good at picking colors and often that's where the success comes and then they come in and go well now that we're making some money yeah. some changes are happening the ford voters not digging this music <laughs> Will this play in a Tobacoke? <laughs> Gleason is not impressed. Will the downtown latte sipping bike riding elites like this, or will it play in a Tobacoke? You can't. In this province, you can't talk about downtown latte sipping bike riders because Calgary hates the bike lanes <laughs> and they're, it's, it's a, the headquarter of a bunch of oil companies. Yes, but see, that was Ford's refrain. That was his constant, the downtown latte sippers. Oh, did he talk about oh, that? Yeah. Actually something he that said? That was actually his of thing. Course is, it is. Of because course it is. it's the GTA suburb commuters that have to drive along the, the not the QE2, the fuck, what's their high, crazy death highway? Their thing. Whichever. Uh, I've been on that. It is a crazy death highway, by the by. Um, but, you know, the people have to spend two hours on the highway to come They're and work. They're the real, work, real yeah. salt of this country. As opposed to the downtown latte-sipping, bike-riding, out-of-touch elites. Drug-dealing sons of bitches. So on this episode of Drink This Podcast, we have covered <laughs> conceptions of spiritualism. We've talked about... Uh, the traditions of various major religions that we know nothing about I, hey speak for yourself man i know something about these things <clears throat> we've insulted shane we talked about fallout we dissed somebody about a wine and beer thing i don't think we were mean about it no well we were a little mean to shane but frenemy oh, yeah. friend of the show we were openly rude to shane fuck you shane fuck you shane <laughs> and then we talked about uh tropes and horror and writing and man we covered a lot of fucking ground tonight feels like another classic episode of drink this podcast and then matt will go to edit it and it'll just be a completely incoherent we just Um, fart into the microphones for a full (laughs) hour and a half because nobody can tell us no (laughs) we're just doing this for ourselves you fucking suckers who chose to listen to this paying what a, nothing what a bunch of stupid assholes you are don't you know that we don't know what we're doing that we're complete amateurs and always will be <laughs> fuck you all fuck all of y'all uh if you want to get in touch with the show you can get us you can reach us in a number of ways you can write us an email drink this pod at gmail.com you can tweet or tweet at us or check out our facebook page at drink this pod uh, if you want to say something to me, I'm at Slingsbot on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm, at, I'm at Igor Zarubo, I-G-O-R-Z-A-R-U-B-O. I think I might be Slingsbot on Snapchat, too. I'm not on Snapchat, so I wouldn't know. You are Slingsbot on Instagram, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's my Instagram. Handle. I'm at Igor Zarubo on everything. We so. are at Drink This Pod on everything. Yeah. It's almost like we know a thing or two about this new media business. Almost. You can tweet at the show's Twitter, and I'm going to maybe make an effort to try and be a little more yeah, involved. Um, until next time, I have been Matt. I'm Paul. And we will drink with you again soon. Aloha. So, 
This has been a production of Screaming Daxon Studios. Big ol' dicks! <laughs>